Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. As a recruiter, I say this to through all the trainings that I've given, and I have to remind myself sometimes, the goal is to connect with the person in an honest dialogue and get them speaking as authentically as possible. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. You may have noticed from the episode title that this is my first show with a guest. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to step out of my role as a teacher and step into the role of a student alongside all of you, asking questions so that we can all learn about a topic I've always found fascinating, hiring and recruiting, and why so many people are generally bad at it. Every organization has to deal with hiring and recruiting. Even if you bootstrap a new business all by yourself, this is one of the first obstacles you'll have to overcome after experiencing any kind of success. So it's funny that so many of the people who are responsible for hiring have little to no idea what they're doing, even though there are experts out there who are happy to tell you exactly what works. Experts like Matt Niblock, VP of Employee Experience at Phase 2, who was recruiting way back when you could still fax in your resume, which dates us both. And in the first part of this three-part interview, Matt will introduce us to some recruiting best practices and how hiring managers can start looking for the right person instead of just the right skills. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Greetings, everybody. It's Joseph here. And with me is a very special guest. I think, actually, my oldest friend, come to think of it. And his name is Matt Niblock. Hello, Matt. Hello, Joseph. How are you? I'm very good. And yourself? I'm well. Good to hear it. So, um, uh, Matt, when did we meet? I must have been like 11 or 12, and you were 13, 14, somewhere around then. It may have been earlier. It was definitely at it was Heritage pool and racket club yep that's where it goes back our early athletic days soaking up sun and rays and we were both swimmers yeah it was really well before the sunscreen era for sure yeah you didn't there was a lot of hawaiian traffic right there was a lot of zero being worn (laughs) right and a lot of that was pre-ozone layer deterioration (laughs) So uh, Matt and I have, have delightfully fun conversations, and uh, we talk about business and digress into just about anything and everything else. And I thought it would be fun to do a podcast episode uh, to pick Matt's brain about hiring and recruiting in particular. So Matt, do you want to introduce yourself for a minute or two and talk about your background and why people should think your thoughts about hiring and recruiting are important? 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, of course, yes. So my name is Matt Niblock. I currently am the Vice President of Employee Experience at Phase 2, which is a nationwide company. We're a digital experience agency, which is really how I think technology companies have evolved from sort of you know, building traditional websites to having websites do a lot more. Uh, personally, I've been in some facet of HR, recruiting, staffing ever since pretty much my first job. Wow. And we'll get into a little bit of that, you know, the original on-the-job training mm-hmm. you know, that I had in 1995-96. I'm not sure why people want to listen to me, but I will say that I've, <laughs> I've had so many different permutations when it comes to hiring, staffing in general. Um, I've lived through the mail and fax resume era Yeah, through when we thought monster.com was going to put us all out of business <laughs> to where we are today. So I've, I've seen a lot. Yeah, I bet. And, uh, you know, this um, marks the, the month uh, about 18 years. I've been business coaching 18 years on a month now. But before that, I was a high-tech recruiter for a year and a half, two years. Right before the dot bomb happened, I was working for Palm, as in Palm Pilot. Palm, Palm Pilot, remember them? Oh, yes. And I remember you having that job. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, a freelance recruiter. I was working for Palm. And right before the dot bomb happened, they laid off all 35 or so recruiters that they had. And that was sort of the harbinger of the end of uh, Silicon Valley expansiveness for a while. And I was unemployed for about three months before I got the job as a business coach at Emeth. So we both were in the staffing industry. Yeah, that was a really that was a really tough era. Yeah. I was doing tech recruiting, um, specifically telecom, uh-huh. which is now no longer a word. I think is even used, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it was big after the dot bomb. Telecom was really big. Still, it sort of survived, and then biotech sort of followed that. That kept growing through it. Yeah, and not to get too tangential, but the reason why telecom was big at the time was because of they essentially it was the deregulation of local telephone. Uh-huh. So long distance was deregulated in the eighties. Ma Bell broke up. Right. Right. So long distance rates went down. Uh-huh. Even though none of our parents knew this. <laughs> they were like Long distance. <laughs> it's long distance. I'm on the phone, long distance. <laughs> Attached to a cord, 20 feet long, twisted around their body. Right. 30 foot kitchen cord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the same thing. They, the, you know, they really thought there was going to be a gold rush, and there kind of was in 1996 when local was deregulated. So we had all these, like, what they called CLEX competitive local exchange carriers springing up, eating. And that was that was really good until it wasn't good, just mm. like high tech. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, digression aside, I think that kind of stuff is so interesting. I had no idea about that. And I just, you know, I don't even know. I, well, try to stay focused on hiring and recruiting, but I think yeah. the stuff we always talk about is inevitably interesting. So free reign for digressions here, because I already learned something I had no idea about. That. So one, one preamble I want to say, you know, even though so much has changed from... Uh, you know, the monster days. Monster still exists. I don't know if Hot Jobs still does. I know that was one of their biggest competitors. <laughs> Remember Hot Jobs? 
I yes, it has faded. Um, mm. Career build, career builder. Excuse me, is still very yeah. strong. Indeed, obviously. Yeah. yeah, there. You know, there's so many of those things, and Brass Ring was one of them, and now ZipRecruiter is really heavily marketed, and you know, yes. The, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. Is is what occurs to me because what I see, and I imagine what you see too, is the the central challenges of hiring. They've never changed. And they probably never will. And the reason I love, I love hiring as a topic, just like I love financial management for the same reason, because people have to do it and they usually have no idea what they're doing. And that means there's an enormous opportunity for a little bit of wisdom to go a really long way. That's a good point. I would, I would say that Actually, people have some idea what they're doing, which is why it's so dangerous. <laughs> George Bernard Shaw said, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah, and that's, um, that's one of the classic pitfalls that, you know, it's, it's pretty well documented. Um, you know, there's a, there is an ongoing debate, you know, that's been going on at least for 20 years about the structured interview. Ah. Right? Yeah. What's the debate? The debate is, you know, the data shows that you're you're going to have a higher success rate, you know, with not only making good hires and a good hire is someone who's going to perform and contribute positively to your culture or work product, but then also not going to leave, right? That's always seen as a bad hire, right? You've you got someone who not only do they not work out, but they're going to leave, you know, prematurely. You can talk about tenure too, but... You know, the data shows that structured interviews definitely help that. And the structured interview, the problem is if you think about it, you know, on a continuum, right? This is on the far left is completely structured, which is same questions. All the interviewers read the same questions and the candidate goes through one, two, three rounds of this. Uh And they compare notes and it's the same data. And there you have a lot of stability in there, right? It's like a controlled experiment. It's a contr- It's very controlled. Mm-hmm. And then on the all the way to the right of the continuum is like the complete freestyle interview, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I worked for a company that will go unnamed. They did a lot of happy hour interviews, <laughs> right? Unstructured, of course. A yeah. very unstructured. More yeah. after each round. Well, yeah, at about six forty-five. <laughs> you know, pretty much the bartender might be hired. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like completely freestyle, right? But the structured interview. The problem with the structured interview is that it's a terrible experience for the for the candidate. Uh huh. And we have this growing candidate market because that's where we are with consumerism in general. Mm-hmm. Right? We live in this Yelp culture, this five star culture. Uh, Glassdoor, Glassdoor is very yeah. visible. Like if you do not treat your employees well, you're definitely going to see that. If you don't treat your candidates well, you will get that feedback. Right. Mm. So getting way back to your, you know, good or bad, like I, I think a lot of hiring managers continue to overlook the importance of data in the interview process Mm -hmm. because your gut, I'm just throwing some numbers out, probably 75, 85% of the time, it's going to be pretty good. Mm -hmm. Right. But what about the data that's missing from the interview? So a lot of people sit down and they conduct interviews. The candidate's very prepared. 
he, she, they has their interview ready, uh, their resume ready, everything. They've done research on the company. They probably have questions. Um, you know, managers are busy hiring managers. You know, they'll see interview on their calendar and all of a sudden this candidate comes in and they look at the resume. It may be the second time, maybe yeah, the right. first time they've ever seen it. Possibly. I'm like, I'm like, all right, yeah, let me just, let me just wing it here. Yeah. And what's seductive about that is a lot of the times they're, they're mostly, their gut tells them a lot of what they need to know. So many problems can occur if you have three or four of those interviews that go kind of well, right? Then how to discern. Yeah. Yeah. How to discern or then um, that person inevitably is probably going to have more than one interview. Like, how is that data shared? Like, hey, this person really, really blew me away. Right. They knocked it out of the park. You should have been been there. How did your interview go? Yeah, same way. And then like, okay, well, which one should we hire? Right. Who knows? Well, bring them back. Oh, that is a big (laughs) trap too. Right. So in this continuum of very structured interviews, right. To completely lose. um, My personal preference is somewhere in between. You know, I say good hiring, um, hiring process, good recruiting is really where gut meets data. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And because, you know, culture is nebulous, but it's really important. And a lot of times you sort of know when someone's going to be a fit. Um, uh, you know, later on, we can kind of talk about some of the classic biases that occur. But imagine that someone doesn't suffer any of those heuristic biases or, um, you know, anchor bias or any number of these things that can occur, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this person's wearing a suit I like, right? So imagine the interviewer doesn't suffer from any of that. Which is hard to imagine, but okay. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) The thought experiment, all things being equal, they're not prey to superficial first impressions. Right, which they kind of, you know, we can get to that. But it's like, you know, um, they come in, the interviewee is prepared, the interviewer looks at them and really just ends up having an organic conversation. But if you're armed with at least um, an organized set of criteria that you are going to measure this person against, Mm -hmm. that's based upon the job description and the job description is carefully written and based upon um, the need, the current need and the opportunity of the company. Mm. So let's say you're interviewing for a project manager you're going to have very specific criteria that you're looking for. And then you can break that out and, and score it on some level, which sounds kind of horrifically left brain, but you have to put that in there. Otherwise, you're going to have, um, you run the risk of really maybe hiring the person that didn't score the highest. Mm-hmm. Person you enjoyed person, talking with is usually the person you like the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you realize one of the most important aspects you're looking for or skill sets is dealing with difficult customers. Mm. You know, let's say you've got a couple of real difficult customers. You need someone who's going to be resilient, who is going to be able to advocate and stand up, if you will. Well, if you have an interview and it's all just kind of 
you know, jovial, if you will, or conversational, yeah. you have no idea if that person is really going to do well in front of your top customer. Yeah, well, you're opening a door that I'm I'm very glad we're, we're getting to, uh, and that I that I would say is the distinction between being and doing, and that is it looks to me that most interviewing is getting at what the person can do, their skill set, or their knowledge, what they know about, but it's much trickier to get to who they are as a person, how they will perform under stress, how what the way they relate to change, the way they relate to the unknown. And so, you know, what I will advise clients to do, you mentioned the job description, it starts with a clear one of those. And then the question to me is, okay, who does the person need to be to do this well? You might even have that in the job description. Okay, they need to do this and you do this and you deal with difficult customers. Who do they need to be in order to do that? What is that? Resilient, centered, grounded, um, you know, uh, unflusterable. I'm sure there's a real word that means that, that, that. <laughs> but, but that, and then I, I, what I see is that people have a really hard time constructing an interview or winging an interview, much less that will get to that. Thoughts on that? How do people do that? Yes. No, I totally agree. And that, that's one of the ways that sort of forces preparedness. Mm. So what I found that when I implemented um, for lack of a better term, scorecards, right? Mm-hmm. Based upon not only the specific skills, but who we needed them to be. Um, and I sent that scorecard prior to the interview and said, hey, we need you to fill this out. I'm not going to, <clears throat> you know, you're smart enough, you run this group, right? To know what question to ask when it comes to technical skills and you're yeah. to see that soft skill. But I don't want you to conclude the interview without at least healthily investigating their resilience Mm -hmm. because you're going to have to score on that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it starts with a clear set of goals. This is what you want to find out. And I think that's really important. And I, I think the better you get at that, the more intuitive that can be and that you can just wing that. But in the beginning, I agree, it needs to be structured. What are the qualities? And that often includes the values of the company. You know, if the values are curiosity, for example, that's one of the values of the company. How well does this person embody that curiosity? And then you work backwards from that to figure out, okay, what are the questions I can ask that are going to get me there? And those questions may not get you there. So you have to be able to improvise when those questions don't work. You are correct. I'm so glad you mentioned values because in our first phone screen, which sometimes is a Google Hangout, sometimes it's just a regular telephone call, we we evaluate their alignment with our five core values. How do you do that? So the best way, obviously, are through examples, right? Mm-hmm. And if someone can't readily give... So collaboration is one of our core values. Uh-huh. Right. We want to know how they worked. I mean, very rarely are you working in isolation, right? right? You're collaborating in some way, shape, or form. So you want to say, hey, what's what are some of your successful collaboration techniques when working working on projects? Right? Whoa, a collaboration technique. I can imagine someone's either going to have a the key adverb you said there readily. Mm-hmm. Do they have a is their example readily available, or do they have to really think hard about it? I imagine that tells you a lot. It 
does because we want to know how they collaborate. So if someone has something readily available, that means they've used it in the last two weeks. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so some of the sort of normal ways that people collaborate, we 50% of our staff works remotely. So oh. we're always on a, yeah, we're always on hangouts. Someone might say, Oh, I had regular meetings and you know, very traditional collaborative technique, right? Oh, I have a you know weekly meeting with my team and I share this. And people will talk about shared information on Google Drive, its limits, and then maybe they explored another application uh-huh. um, in which they shared information. And you know, you want something that, like I said, is a, you know immediately tip of the tongue. So if they can't answer that, that sort of lets you know that it's it is clearly not something they have really done enough to be comfortable with it. Yeah. So that's not necessarily a negative. It's just not a positive. Uh huh. Right. They could do it. But right. Not, but they're telling you it's probably not a strength. Is what you're finding out. Right. So in the end, when I when we score that, right, we're going to have this person through all of our candidates. We may have, and we have five core values. They may this person may have scored the lowest on collaboration, but they have the others. And then when you match them up to the other candidates. Like, all right, well, let's let's move them forward and maybe we'll press on that again. So that answers your other question, right? So we might, through the interview process, that might be revealed in another anecdote, it might come out. But as a recruiter, I say this to through all the trainings that I've given, and I have to remind myself sometimes the goal is to connect with the person in an honest dialogue. And get them speaking as authentically as possible, their authentic now, self. I got a question right there then. Yes. How do you stop people from performing the interview <clears throat> and break what I like to call the interview trance? You know what I mean? I, I throw water balloons at their forehead. That's a killer technique. Right. It's probably against the law, but I bet you it works. <laughs> Only in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As long as you don't ask them if they're planning on having a child anytime soon, you can throw water water balloons at their head. Well, you have to give them a safe space for truth. Mm. Right? Say more about that. And I typically set the tone by saying the intent of the interview, right? By letting them know, hey, this is the first conversation. You know, um, submitting a resume the, the intention there is to get an interview, right? This interview, right? The intention is for us to share information, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I will make it, the, re, the ways I make it a safe space is I let them know that it's going to be somewhat organic, but I also, one of my intentions is I want them to get all their questions answered. Mm-hmm. I empathize because I really feel this. The candidate experience can be terrible, right? Mm-hmm, sure. It's the original ghosting experience. Yeah, right. That's right. The first ghost. Yeah. I did two interviews. I never heard from them again. Right. You a lot of energy. You had hopes, dreams, fears, and then you just get ghosted, which is, yeah, not a good thing for a company to do, especially in the era of Glassdoor. Yeah. And it's just, um, all it takes is a couple of times on the other side, right? So I've done way more interviews and I, myself, I've interviewed jobs for whatever. 
And I realized most companies have a nowadays has changed, I think a little bit more, but <clears throat> at least through late 90s and definitely 2000, 2010, most companies really put on a bad candidate experience. Mm-hmm. Right. So you want to set the tone and say, hey, I understand. There's a lot of misinformation out there. I really want to make sure that when you hang up or when we conclude, you have a better picture of who phase two is. You have a clearer picture of this job. We do our best to answer the the questions that you have. And I go further to say, I don't want to uh, make you feel uncomfortable, but there are big questions that people want to ask in the beginning of the process. Like, where is this job? What's the salary range? Yeah, the salary, right. Which is something right. a good interviewer rarely will reveal in the beginning. So I at least want to get their expectations. And once we get sort of that big, sort of those big elephants out of the room, like how much does this job pay or like what have you I, I i don't share the range a lot of times but we ask for it on the application and i want people to confirm that range mm-hmm. and i let them know it's it's better that you let us know then we go through this long process and at the very end we say we love you here's seventy three thousand dollars a year right mm-hmm. and they it's a complete waste of time right you were upside down the entire time yeah mm-hmm. So I think me being honest opens the door. Uh-huh. Um, I think obviously a level of, you know, a relaxed tone, make a conversation, some of the basic interview stuff, make it a conversation. Uh-huh. If you just, if you just rapidly, you know, it becomes an interrogation when it's just question, question, question. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, you know, you're, you're bringing, um, not just talking about, but showing and illustrating, which I really appreciate a lot of compassion and kindness and, um, sort of taking responsibility for the relationship. I I love that. What do you think the line is? You use the word interrogation there because one of my personal, uh, I don't know what you call it. One of my techniques, when I hired coaches for Emeth years ago, uh, we put people through a four-part interview process. There were four C-level people. I was one of them. And uh, in my half hour, my my mission was to determine a brand fit. The other three interviewers had a different mission. And I'm curious what you think about this. So I started the interview by saying, so I know you're going to try to put your best foot forward and you're going to try to show me your strengths and that's what happens in interviews. And I want to tell you, right from the beginning, that that's not going to impress me. Because what a coach needs to be able to do is work on their weaknesses and be present to that because if they're not working on their weaknesses, they're going to counter-transfer onto the people that they're working with and the growth of your clients is going to be limited by your own growth. One of the basic principles of leadership in that in EMIS model and many other models too, of course. So I said, so we're going to talk today about your weaknesses and I don't want to hear that you're perfectionistic or that you work too hard. I want to really hear what the weaknesses are. And you'll impress me with how ugly you can show me aspects of you are. What do you think about that? And please be I honest. Do like it. <laughs> I, I do like it, but it bumps up to something that I actually personally don't like. You're, you're already in the phase where you're looking for these specific skills, right? Yeah. A lot of my interviews are earlier on in the process where sure. I want to get all of the truth. 
Uh-huh. So the best way to get the truth, it's sort of like good cop, bad cop. It's oh, yeah. Re- yeah. It really should be good cop, better cop. Uh-huh. Same yeah. one? Yeah. Because if you want someone to really sort of close down or may even like this sort of it touches bumps up against fight or flight right yeah sure if if i'm increasing the tension in the room i I think a lot of people a lot of interviewers who aren't properly trained think that they're going to get sort of the real truth out of someone if they really put back them in a corner Uh uh-huh um but in fact, they're more likely. So, for instance, uh, they're more likely to say something that is. Well, they're definitely more likely if the, if if flight is the is the go to response, which is a, really for a lot of people. Sure. So, at that moment, when you're making, when you're really dialing up the discomfort, they're probably going to shut down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. They're going to be thinking about their answers. And they might not reveal something. If I get some, if I get a casual conversation going and I let people know my intent and I offer some truth about myself, like by sort of introducing the sort of the the scene of empathy and saying, Hey, you know what? It's tough out there. I know it. Right. Yeah. I am the VP of employee experience and a good employee experience starts with a great candidate experience. Right on. We get, we get those reviews. When people are hired and they finally meet with all the people, like uh, so, our CEO says the one bit of feedback we get over and over again was they knew everything was really honest throughout the process. Mm. Set the tone to honesty; it's going to make your job easier as an interviewer. But anyway, getting back to sort of that your you know your scene that you set up, there's actually something ironic. There's sort of a paradox of disarmament. Yeah. Right. So it seemed like you were, there was an intensity to it, but it really wasn't. It was like, hey, man, just exhale. Yeah. It certainly depends on the energy that you bring behind that. You can, yeah. you can make, hey, we all have weaknesses. Let's just be real about it. I'll even tell you some of mine. You know, you could come from that place or it could come yeah. from like a drill sergeant kind of mentality. So the how is really important. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.